This is the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from GoBundance. The tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. Listen Tuesdays for featured guests and Fridays for GoBundance member spotlights. But listen always to hear how our guests have grabbed life big. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gruber. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. This week's guest, Luke Henry, is a GoBundance member, fairly recent, out of Marion, Ohio, right around the Columbus area. And he's got a bunch of stuff going on. He's a former pharmacist. He's got a landscaping company. He's got a wedding event venue. He's got a hair salon, a restaurant, an ice cream place. He's developing pretty much the entirety of his downtown in his hometown, doing a bunch of stuff. Luke, welcome. Yeah, good to be here, Jamie. Thanks, man. No, it's great to have you. Great to have you. We got to connect when you joined. So I'm interested to hear right. a bit more about uh, about your story. So let's go back a little bit. So married in Ohio, born and raised, or where you're from? Kind of give us the backstory. Yeah, nearby, uh, little town, Mount Gilead, Ohio. Uh, you know, grew up there, went to high school there. Um, both of my uh, my grandparents were all farmers. And so, you know, heavily influenced by uh, kind of the, you know, very agricultural community. My grandparents were farmers, you know, saw that work ethic in them. Uh, you know, they instilled that in my parents. My parents were not farmers. They both, um, you know, worked for the government. Uh, so I learned a little bit about, you know, what I didn't like about uh, some of what I saw, you know, them having to do dealing with, uh, you know, bureaucracy all the time and some of that. But uh, didn't, you know, didn't really grow up in, you know, in a small business family again, except for kind of seeing it through my grandparents with with farming and stuff. But, you know, uh, street smart, smart with money, you know, really learned a lot from them. And I think that that definitely had an impact on me. Makes sense. So, yeah, continue. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, then I, I started mowing grass when I was in junior high. I got my first mowing job for my great, great aunt and uncle. Took me two and a half hours. They paid me five bucks uh, to mow their yard when I was in junior high. And, you know, that was like big money at the time. So uh, I, I decided I loved it. I loved the roar of the mower, the smell of the grass, sunshine on my face, you know, so it was great. So I decided, you know, I could make a buck doing this. I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. So, uh, you know, picked up a few more lawns and, you know, this kind of the story of lots of, you know, preteens and teenage kids and, uh, you know, had a little money in my pocket, bought a little nicer mower than another one. And then I got my driver's license and a trailer and another mower. And, uh, you know, uh, that became a means of putting myself through pharmacy school. So I uh, went and uh, got a doctor of pharmacy degree, uh, put myself through pharmacy school doing landscaping, and then uh, was a pharmacist for a couple of years, as you, you know, as you should be, uh, having spent all that time in school. And uh, then went on from there. Uh, also, while in college, I bought my first rental property when I was 19. I bought it in the town where I went to college and uh, started renting out some rooms to my friends and, you know, made a few dollars that way. So that kind of got me hooked on real estate a little bit, kept buying real estate through the years. And, you know, my uh, after my wife and I got married before we had kids. And um, then uh, four years ago, I had uh, what my wife refers to as a midlife crisis, uh, I think. And she said she wishes I would have just bought a convertible or something. It would have been you know, less, less cheaper and less uh, stressful. But uh, 
uh, linked up with a business partner and bought uh, a bunch of old abandoned buildings in our downtown. We had a vision for a one block area where we wanted to revitalize. So we quietly went around, bought some buildings and then uh, released our grand vision, got people really excited, started to get some momentum and uh, then started to bring some potential tenants in to go into some of these buildings, you know, some people that do an ice cream shop or a coffee shop and some of these types of things. And, you know, we bring them through these, you know, really rough buildings and they're like, Hey, we can see the vision. It could be great. I'm sure. But uh, you know, it's a little too early for us. So, you know, no thanks. Uh, So we were undeterred and, uh, you know, kind of ever the optimist and entrepreneur. I said, no problem. We'll just, operate the businesses ourselves. You know, we'll just, uh, you know, open up these places and we'll just operate them ourselves. So, you know, we did and we are. So that's that's kind of where we're at. Now, talk to me about unit count prior to all of this, prior to you getting married. You said you were buying properties from 19 on. When you got married, where were you from like a financial freedom, real estate, passive income, unit count, whatever? Where, where What did it look like at that point? Yeah, well, I've, I mean, got married pretty young. I was 22. My wife was 21. So I just at, at the time only had the the one, you know, place, you know, college house, basically is huge house, five bedrooms. And uh, yeah, so we just had that one place. And then she and I rented this little tiny postage stamp of a house, uh, you know, around the corner from there. We were still in college. So we were, you know, we were poor for a while. But uh, once we, you know, once I graduated, I was a pharmacist. My wife is a teacher. We started buying a few rental homes and uh, kind of went from there. But then when before we started investing in downtown stuff, we we had about like 20, 25, you know, doors, single family, smaller, multifamily, that kind of thing. Now, give me an idea of Marion. Is this a town that um, I don't know? I mean, it's in Ohio in the, you know, I live in Michigan, so I can say it. it's in yeah, the Rust Belt, yeah. right? Yeah, um, yeah. It's a derogatory term, I think. If you're, if it's somebody outside of here saying it about us, it's like no, no, no. But here we could call it that, right? Um, exactly. Right. But is this a town? When you said, okay, we want to redevelop our downtown, is this a town that had growing population, declining population? Was it a, a high poverty rate? Like, give me an idea of what the dynamics were of Marion when you decided to invest and start to redevelop the downtown. Yeah, yeah. So it it is like a lot of, you know, cities in in Ohio and Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Indiana, you know, kind of Rust Belt cities. You know, history of manufacturing, some of those jobs went away, you know, a few decades ago, the downtown was, you know, it used to be where it's at, uh, where, you know, that's how it is in a lot of uh towns our size. So to give you an idea, it's about 35,000 people in the city, 65,000 people in the, in the county. So you know, not super tiny, but, you know, not a, not a metropolitan area by any means, but, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, Marion kind of, you know, had a, a bad rap a little bit with, uh, you know, just for the same reasons as a lot of cities of the size do, you know, yeah. drugs, and, you know, some, you know, rough parts of town, again, the downtown had just been, a you know, kind of neglected for a few decades when, you know, things went to malls and to, other places and the downtown was no longer the community center of the city. And uh, so just a lot of the buildings had fallen into disrepair. And the block where we started was actually the oldest block in Marion. So wow. the first building that we bought um, was uh, actually built in 1832. And some of the buildings were built in the 1850s, 1860s, 1870s. So these are some of the oldest buildings in our community. And they are in rough shape, you know, even the ones that were 
you know, nicer, uh, had, you know, some structural issues. And, you know, I mean, the one of them, it was a, uh, it was a saddle shop when it was first built. Yeah. I mean, you think about it, like they didn't have cars. I mean, the place where people get saddles for their horses, I mean, it's just a, a tiny, you know, brick place. And then they kept building onto it as the years went by. Pretty cool though, right? It's got an amazing history, the significance of it. How, if you don't mind me asking how much that first building, what was it? Like, it, give me an idea, like, retail space with some apart like what was that building and what did you have to pay for that building yeah so that building uh, our very first project uh, this this place that, that we bought we bought several of them at once before we kind of you know released our plans but our very first project that we completed when we bought it it was a tattoo parlor hmm. and it was a dark dingy you know tattoos and piercings and you know just kind of a, a sketchy place it had been that for like 20 or 30 years uh but it was the building that was you know almost 200 years old uh we paid twenty thousand dollars for it and uh you know it was just just dingy and you know kind of nasty it was only it was a two-story building nothing upstairs and then just the the single tenant space. So it's one of the smaller buildings that we have, but uh, we put about $75,000 into it. Uh, and then uh, that was the one that we turned into an ice cream shop. So now it's bright colors. And, you know, we took off like seven layers of flooring and we took off, you know, three layers of paneling and then broken plaster behind that. And we're just chipping away all this. And we found a, a wall that was uh, actually made of limestone, not even brick, uh, Ohio limestone from the 1830s. Uh, just, you know, super cool. We made that like an accent, you know, you know, kind of statement wall as soon as you walk in the front door. But uh, that was our very first project. So what was, what a, was, a fun what was the bet you were taking on Marion? So and I want to talk about like, you know, maybe just we'll, we'll advance and say, well, like now what do you own and all that? We don't have to go building by building. But what is the bet you were taking on Marion? Like, what did you see? Was it just nostalgia? It ain't that expensive. You know, we, we you know, we can swing and miss and be OK. I got a good job and you know, my wife makes a good living. We got these other 20 units of real estate. My partner and I are going to like you know, it's just like, hey, we love this town. We want to do it. Or were there some dynamics in play that you saw coming that got you out in front of this? Like, why do it? Yeah. Yeah. But it was a little bit of all of that. Um, so, you know, my, my business partner and I had just known each other for a year or two. He kind of started the same way as me, single family homes, rentals, um, you know, and he had some interest in downtown. I had a buddy of mine that had done a lot of work in another community in Ohio and was having a lot of success and building momentum. I'd introduced them. And, you know, so we're just kind of like seeing that this could be possible uh, from others. And then, you know, we looked around and saw the need, uh, you know, and we we had lunch one day and we sat out on the, the front. There was one restaurant on this block where we bought most of our buildings and it had been there a while. You know, a lady with a great personality, good food, uh, Argentinian, you know, lady. And she just had a has a big personality and, you know, was able to keep this thing afloat. And uh, but we sat on our her front sidewalk. And we looked around at just all these buildings. I mean, you know, most of them were vacant or had been underutilized for many, many years. And, you know, I said to him, if we don't do it, who's going to? Who's going to fight for our community? Who's going to do this stuff? You know, we believe that it could be, you know, longer term also, you know, economically viable and, and hopefully fruitful for us. But, you know, it was kind of just a play of, you know, this is our community. This is where, you know, my, my wife grew up in this community. I grew up one community over. Our kids are going to school in this community and we want 
it to be better, you know, for our kids and for, you know, the people that we care about. And so, you know, if we can love this one little block, if we can make a really big impact on this one little block, and this is in the heart of our community, those ripples we believe could be seen, you know, rippling out from here. And so, you know, we did see some also some other uh, signs of momentum. You know, we saw some other people that were either talking about or had done some projects downtown and they were starting to get the ball rolling a little bit. And we saw, you know, some uh, some other things coming to town and just some 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 of the signs that were like, OK, I see some glistening here that there could be, you know, some really good things coming and, you know, we'd seen some some cool things open and close. Unfortunately, in the downtown, we'd see a new restaurant, you know, we see a new store come, but there just wasn't enough like critical mass to get people, you know, to, to really adopt it as an entertainment district. So we said, if we could chunk off this one block and we could, you know, make it a place where people would come for dining and entertainment and community, then we could really turn this into something that you know, would be a draw, you know, not only for our community, but for others, you know, to come in and, and be able to, you know, spend time together and shop and eat and, you know, do those fun things. I'm very curious about the ripple effect. But before I ask that question, just sort of take me from that building to now. And, and if you could in this, paint the picture of downtown. When you say block, is it a, like a one street, four block downtown? Is it, you know, like two, three streets uh, wide and there's like seven, eight blocks total? Like, give me an idea of downtown. And tell me uh, what what your you know where you are today with it. You've got these different businesses, but how many buildings do you own? Maybe as a percentage of downtown. Just give me context for what this downtown looks like and what you have there. Yeah, so um, the downtown, you know, it's it, I guess it depends on who you talk to, how you exactly define downtown. But it's you know two or three kind of main streets going east and west, and then probably you know four streets going north and south and then kind of the blocks in between them. So, you know, 10 blocks or something like that, probably total, you know, at, at the max, I'd say that's, you know, kind of the walkable downtown, call it. Um, the block that we uh, bought the buildings on where we've most heavily invested is is probably about 20 buildings. I think I counted it here recently. Now I can't remember 20, say 20 ish buildings on this, you know, one block where we made an investment. And right now we, we, um, over half of them uh, on this block. And we bought eight before we kind of told anybody what we were doing. We just went around quietly and kind of brokered some deals privately where there was a couple that were for sale on the market. There were some others that we just kind of heard the people were, you know, maybe interested in selling. They weren't doing anything with the building and some of that. So that, that was where our main focus was to start. Got it. Now tell me about the ripple. You as you, it sounds like a few other people were coming in, coming downtown, developing. Have you seen what you've envisioned? This entertainment and dining district downtown. Have you created that? Is it there? Is it vibrant? What's happening now? Yeah. So remember, uh, you know, we started this like three and a half years ago was when we first met. Three years ago was when we started our first project, and two years ago was when everything shut down with COVID. True. So, uh, you know, we've definitely had the cards stacked against us. We were already <laughs> going against the grain. Uh, you know, no people told us there was no way that we could do this. That we were stupid. We were wasting our money. We just demolish the buildings and make parking lots. You know, those kinds of things. And we're like, no, no, we can do this. And then COVID came, and they were like, oh, maybe we can't do this. <laughs> this is really hard because our next project kind of our flagship project was uh, our wedding event venue. And this 
this is where I'm sitting. I'm in the bridal lounge, uh, part of, of the building, but, um, it was a building that had been vacant for 40 years. There had been a fire in the seventies and nobody had ever repaired it. It had just been used as, um, just basically a warehouse for a contractor who wanted a cheap place to, you know, hold all his extra materials and junk and dump his extra debris when jobs were over and everything. And so we saw a vision here for a wedding event venue that was really cool, you know, exposed brick and exposed beams and heart, you know, original hardwood floors and an outdoor courtyard with a roll up glass garage door where we could seat people for weddings. And that's what we created. It took about a year. It was about a million dollar project. So our very, you know, first big project and, um, you know, banks didn't really want to, you know, work with us. And even though we had, you know, other real estate and, you know, had other businesses, you know, that we thought we could prove, you know, banks weren't really interested in the project and, and nobody had proven that, you know, this type of thing could be viable. So we did it. We finished it. It was gorgeous. We had our first five events there. We were open for three weeks. We had booked 30 weddings before we even finished the construction project. And then we were shut down for COVID <laughs> for two months. And uh, so it's been a rough go. But um, now uh, we're kind of back, you know, fully operational. We had about 50 weddings last year, 50 weddings uh, this year. People are coming from states away. We get a lot from Cleveland, Ohio, Cincinnati, Toledo. We've had couples from Detroit, New York City. Uh, it's really crazy, um, you know, but it's turned into a, to a great thing. So that was kind of our, our flagship thing. And then we've, you know, built out from there. Meanwhile, as we've been doing this on this block, we've also seen a microbrewery uh, that opened on this block. Mm. Uh, really nice, really popular uh, new restaurant, a barbecue restaurant right across the street. There's a corner grocery store. That's a great amenity because we're not only doing commercial, uh, we're doing residential uh, loft living as well in these places. Um, so, you know, we're starting to see more and more of that other momentum, uh, several new boutique stores, um, three other restaurants just opened in the last six months. So, you know, within, you know, a block or so, so we're, we are really starting to see the momentum and the, and the ripple effect as we're going forward here. Are your, your restaurant, ice cream shop, hair salon, are these businesses becoming profitable at this point? I mean, that's a great point about COVID. I mean, you, it's how soon we forget. Not that it's, you know, quote unquote over, I guess, but it's over. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, are you, are you, are, are you seeing, um, are you seeing, you know, are these businesses starting to become more viable? These other businesses that you own, it sounds like downtown's booming. It's starting to really boom, but are you seeing the impact yet? Or is it more maybe a summertime thing that you're anticipating? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we're really hoping that this is going to be kind of the first year, like somewhat, you know, COVID free, you know, even last year, there was, you know, a few months in the summer, we're like, man, this is good. This is, you know, this is what we were hoping for. We're, we're, we're getting there. And then, you know, it kind of dove down again. But uh, yeah, this year, I think is really going to be the one, um, you know, where we start to see, you know, more and more momentum, a lot more, you know, again, walkability, people getting out, you know, even last year, you know, I mean, a year and a half into COVID, you know, numbers were way down. And so when you're already, again, trying to train new habits with people and that sort of thing. When you then have a percentage of people that you don't even have an opportunity to reach because they're not leaving their homes or they're not going out to, you know, eat in restaurants and some of that kind of thing, you know, makes it, you know, even more challenging. Interesting. Yeah. Downtown here, it's funny today, I, I did a, a spin class or whatever. And then I went to this little market, like a natural market. They make smoothies, like, you know, all natural yeah. smoothies. 
So I called him, I ordered it. I walked into pay and it was like, whoa, where's the plexiglass? They took the plexiglass like barrier down. They're like, yeah, you know, so. Yeah. <laughs> I think people yeah. have kind of moved on, whether we as a society are supposed to or not. I think people are starting to move on from this whole thing. Um, that's amazing, good. man. I want to ask you this, because so let's start with this. I want to dive in a little bit on on four years ago. You you mentioned your wife called it a, a midlife crisis, right? So you you go through this thing and rather than buy the Corvette or the convertible, like you said, you buy a city and or you start the process at least of buying. A yeah, city. right. Take me through that period. I mean, I, midlife crisis, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But what was going on for you? You were a pharmacist. You had success. And this is near and dear to my heart, obviously, with the whole, I think we're about the same age, right? You know, like that 40-ish range and you start to get more perspective on maybe how fast life goes. And yeah. tell me about what happened that made you say enough with the pharmacist thing and I'm going to go this route. Yeah. Well, honestly, I was actually only, I hadn't been a full-time pharmacist since 2009. I was only a pharmacist from 2007 to 2009. Spent $200,000 on pharmacy school, worked two years. And then I, I worked a few years after that, kind of like contingent part-time and stuff. Yeah, like and through 2017-ish maybe? Is that when you kind of like stopped altogether? I think so. And yeah, that's about when I let my license lapse. You know, I just said, I'm literally never going to go back to doing that, you know, I kept paying, you know, doing my continuing education and stuff like that. And I kind of had this whole like little ceremony. I went out in the driveway with my wife and burned my pharmacy license, you know, in our driveway and just said, you know, it's like kind of, you know, ceremonial and symbolic of the fact that, you know, like I'm never going back to, right. you know, feeling like I have to work, to, you know, for somebody else, you know, we've, we've created this this life and we've created businesses, we're giving others opportunities, we're creating opportunities for ourselves and our family. And, you know, we're never going to go back to that. So, uh, so, you know, four years ago, I was, you know, 35 years old and, um, and, you know, I, I built a, a pretty, you know, successful business. We were making a little money there and had, you know, again, 25 rental properties, you know, and they're paying for themselves and creating cash flow. And, uh, my wife, uh, didn't work. She uh, stopped teaching when, when we had our first child 11 years ago. And so, uh, you know, life was kind of good. I mean, we were kind of cruising, uh, but kind of had this feeling just, you know, I really want to, you know, leave a lasting impact on our community. And I saw this need and I said, I believe that I know business and I know real estate well enough. Little did I know, I knew nothing about developing commercial real estate. I mean, I look back now and it's like embarrassing, like how naive I was to think, you know, about some of these projects. But, you know, it's like I'm the type and, you know, my business partner is just like, uh, just figure it out. You know, I mean, we know that we don't know much. You know, we don't want to be completely foolish. We tried to educate ourselves a little bit on some things. But, you know, sometimes if you knew how hard it was going to be, you may never start. So I'm just like, we'll just do it. We'll figure it out. We're committed. You know, at that point we had a lot of skin in the game and it was, there was only one way that we could go, you know, was that was out of the hole and towards the, towards the vision. I love that, man. I think it's jumping in the pool, right? You, you, you don't commit until you're in the pool. Now you're wet and now you got to figure out how to swim in that pool. Right? Like, you know, but to your point, it's anything parenthood. You don't know. I mean, you could plan for your kids. Of course you do, you know, like, make sure I have all the right stuff. <laughs> But you don't know until you You're have the prepared. kids and you know when you've like, oh, there's 20 years of trauma. I just created 20 years of trauma, right? <laughs> Whatever, right? Uh, as, a, as a real estate owner, you know, you can listen to every podcast in the world. You can listen to uh, uh, every, uh, read every book or whatever the case may be. But 
until you own the property and a sewer pipe goes or, yeah. you know, oh, what code? What what zoning? What, what, what is all this? Right. Until you are in it, you can't know it. So you're right. You have to dive in. I heard uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, a quote from him is something like, I hate plan B's, right? Plan B is like this idea that I can go back, like screw that. You go forward. And that's what you did, right? Burn the damn yeah. Yeah. license for, for for real, right? Like you're, you're going <laughs> forward. You're rolling. Wow. Um, all right. So, so, uh, uh, so you, you, you build all this, you're here today. How are you running? So maybe this goes to, we've talking a little bit like superpower or, and I love that topic. Like, what is it that you're great at? But, and, and if it plays into a great, if not, we can discuss it separately, but you've got multiple businesses, a big portfolio of real estate, an entire downtown that, you, that you're, you're essentially a big hand in developing at this point, right? You go through COVID. How are you managing all of, like, what is it about you that allows all of this to happen at the same time? Is that your superpower? Is there an element of your superpower in this or is it something else? Yeah. Well, I think that my, my superpower is seeing something in people that they don't maybe even see in themselves, okay. calling that out putting the right people into positions that maybe they're not qualified for, but helping them grow into it and helping them, you know, build our business together. And um, that's, you know, honestly, that's how I've been able to, to do the things that I have and develop the things that I have is that, you know, my landscaping business, I've got a fantastic uh, leadership team there that that leads really well. And some of those people started with me, uh, they just worked in the field. I mean, they were pushing mowers, pushing wheelbarrows, you know, but saw something in them, gave them opportunities. They rose to the occasion, gave them more responsibility, gave them ownership of of things, not just tasks. And, you know, they've proved themselves and I've invested heavily in them. Uh, something that we do at, at our uh, landscaping businesses. I started this about the same, about three or four years ago, is that I have a weekly leadership study that I do. It's mandatory for all of our office and leadership team. It's mandatory. It's every Wednesday morning for an hour and they get paid, uh, but we just talk about leadership. And so we'll listen to podcasts. We'll do books. I'll do teaching just on, you know, random things I've learned. We talk about personality assessments and just all kinds of leadership things. And it's completely multiplied our capacity and the effect that we're able to have and now over on the real estate side, I've also, I believe, been able to do that same thing, pulled some people in. They weren't, you know, they weren't property managers. They weren't working in real estate before, but, you know, I, I saw a spark in them. I saw some street smarts and some drive, pulled them into the fold, have invested in them, taught them. And now they're doing a way better job than I ever could have done at running these different elements of our businesses. And it's really, really gratifying. You know, that's what gets me up in the morning is, Hey, I'm going to have the opportunity to give somebody an opportunity and then we're going to, you know, build something really special together. So are you at this point, would you consider yourself passive in your businesses? Are you active? I mean, obviously you have activity like the leadership training every Wednesday, that sort of thing. But as far as the day-to-day operations, where are you in that? Or is it different phases at different businesses? I'm kind of curious. Yeah. It's really kind of a dichotomy because I have this landscaping business that's yeah, 20 years old. Um, and, you know, I have a great leadership team there. I have people that have been there for a decade or more and, you know, they're helping run that business. So I'm, I'm almost passive there. And we have a, we have a pretty good, big team. I mean, it kind of ebbs and flows seasonally through the year, but I mean, we have a hundred people uh, at a couple of different locations and 
Uh, so we have, you know, great leadership there. And so I'm, I'm somewhat passive, you know, more visionary, more just doing the leadership teaching, kind of coming in for kind of special projects and that kind of thing. And then I, you know, a few years ago had these little baby businesses that were just getting off the ground and, you know, had a hundred or 200 or $300,000 in revenue. And I mean, it's just very small. And I'm like more active in those than I am in the big business that, you know, is doing a lot of revenue and has a lot of team members. And so um, it, it was just very bizarre, you know, my, my days, you know, those days where it's like in the, this business, I'm like, you know, helping sweep the floor and, you know, like coach on disciplinary action and, you know, sitting in interviews and this one over here, I'm just talking about, you know, where we're going to open our second location and where that's going to, you know, how many vehicles we need to buy and stuff like that, just very high level. Um, so it's been, it's been a kind of a, a, a crazy journey, you know, to go back and forth between those in any given day, you know, I mean, it's just, you never know what it's going to be. I want to talk about COVID here in a second and just kind of where you've gone with it. But I think this plays into it. Labor has been, uh, it seems like a post-COVID problem, right? You know, there's I actually just did a, 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 a post on this for my, you know, like my personal brand is about, about you know, uh, uh, living into what fulfills you, right? What you've done, essentially. Mm -hmm. And one of those things that people fear if they have a W-2 job, they're highly paid. It's like, oh, my God, the security. And I'm like, I don't think that exists, first of all. And second of all, if there was a time to quit, this is the market to do it, right? If there was a time to go do something for yourself, like talent, there's a there's a, maybe enough out there, but there's more demand for it than there is supply. Like I'll give you a, for instance, on landscaping, we just got a letter from our landscaper we've had for five years, law, spring cleanup, fall cleanup. We pay in advance with great customers, right? They come every week. We don't have enough labor. We can't handle your account anymore. So now we're scrambling to find another one. How are you finding yeah. with all these businesses that you run? How are you finding? You have a secret here. <laughs> the, uh, the labor, the people to come in and work in your businesses right now. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely been our biggest challenge. I mean, starting with COVID, um, you know, it just, I think a lot, so much of it comes down to the people that started, you know, this year, last year, even, you know, in 2020, trying to do the right things to attract people were like years too late. You know, I think that our, you know, I, I don't know that we have a secret. I, I wouldn't go that far at all, but I would say that, you know, this has really separated the great cultures from the mediocre or terrible cultures. And I think that, you know, what we have is a great team that get along. We, we really work to keep our values aligned. We, we want like-minded people. We want to make our place fun to work. We want to reward our team members, appreciate them. And, you know, it, it, yeah. And today, of course you have to be competitive on wages and we've significantly increased across all of our businesses, you know, what we're paying people, uh, the last few years, I mean, they've accelerated significantly. But beyond that, I believe that each person has a need to feel like their work matters, to be able to connect what they're doing day to day with the mission of the organization. And they have to, to feel you know appreciated and that it's a good place to work. You know, so, I mean, we went kind of back to some very fundamental conversations about, you know, in our landscaping business, for example, to say, you know, we have a meeting and I say, hey, what, what do you do? You know, I ask one of our field staff members, they say, oh, I, you know, I mow. I, you know, I, I blow leaves. I cut, cut blocks for patios. I say, no, you give people the gift of time. You know, Jamie, I mean, you know, you, you, you see that with your landscaper. It's like that gives you time with your kids on the weekend. It gives you time to go see your parents and travel and, 
you know, those sorts of things. We give people a place where they're making memories with their families, where grandparents can spend time with their grandkids and, you know, have time that is irreplaceable. And so I think when people can, when we can transcend just the daily tasks and make sure that people are connected to the mission, they're aligned on our values, we're reminding, you know, why we do what we do, how we do what we do. I think those are the things that stick for the long term. Yeah. Do I occasionally have somebody that leaves me for, you know, three more bucks an hour to go work for a competitor? Yes, but not very often. And more often we're bringing people to us that are just like, I, you know, I just, I didn't feel appreciated. I didn't, you know, I didn't feel like they, you know, really cared if I came or not. And, you know, we're bringing a lot of people into our different businesses, as I mentioned, from outside industries, you know, it's kind of the big, the big shakeup, the great resignation, right. You know, where, um, you know, good people are out there and it's just a matter of finding them. They're probably not already working in a business like one of mine, but, if they've got skills, if they've got, you know, what it takes, then we can, you know, attract them and we can train people how to do, you know, unfortunately, I don't run, you know, brain surgery outfit or anything like that. You know, we're not building rockets, you know, I mean, a lot of the stuff that we do is is fundamentally easy, but it it's not, you know, not dummy proof. We need good people and, but we can train them how to do stuff. Yeah, no, I, I, we interviewed Jeff Hoffman. Um, anybody can go back and listen to that episode. He's, uh, you know, multi-billionaire founder of Priceline and Booking.com, owner of the Marlins, yeah. hard owner of the Marlins, all that. He's just an amazing guy. And we talked about labor and the 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 new version of it today. And you just touched on it, right? You're bringing people in from other industries. Um, and I think that investment in in individuals that you bring in as in like, I want the best for you. That's what you're essentially saying. I want the best mm -hmm. that you can get right. for you. Yeah. It's such a simple thing, but I think it's lacking because he said it. He's like, look, people don't want to go work for Apple for the next 30 years now. They want to work on the iPhone 14. And then maybe if it's the right fit for them, that's talent, right? They'll work on the iPhone 15. Yeah. And he even said, those that come in and say, I want to work for the next 30 years, he's like, be careful. Those are more parasites, right? Like, I just want right. you to pay yeah. me no matter what I do for the next 30 years, essentially, versus no, I believe so strongly in what I deliver that. I want to do this next project. And I don't know how that relates to landscaping, but I want to do this next project or this next thing. I want to be on this next mm -hmm. uh, season, right? And then let me see where it goes because I know I'm good enough to be invested in by anybody. Like that's what recruiting talent is. And you're, it sounds like encouraging that. You're encouraging the growth and development of people, period. I don't think you're trying to like, yeah, hey, only be here for a season and then go. I mean, obviously you want to oh, keep no. good people, but your way of keeping good people is investing in them. And I think that's such a key component of, of, where we are today. I think it's a post-COVID correction, to be honest yeah, with you, to yeah. some extent. We've got to, you know, yeah, we've got to be able to see beyond people in their role. You know, I mean, yeah. um, you know, I, I remind our, you know, leaders frequently that our, our people that work in the field, they're not units of production. You know, they're people, you know, they're not quantities of man hours to hit a budget. You know, they're people and we've got to care about them as a person in order to keep them around. And we've got to make sure that we're, you know, kind of doing unto them as we would want, you know, if we were in their position. And so I think that that's an important thing. You know, it's just, again, I, I think COVID is just really, you know, exacerbated the, the idea of you, you got to treat people good, you know, in order to keep them. Um, there's, there's some crummy workplaces out there and, you know, we, we don't want to be one of them. So, yeah. you know, working real hard to, to do that. No doubt. No doubt. Um, 
Tell me about how all of this leads to GoBundance. So you joined, God, as of the time that we're right around the first of the year, right? About two months ago, three months ago. Yeah. So you've yeah, been in about two, yeah, right around the first of the year. What drew you to GoBundance? What, give me a little bit of backstory on, on that and we'll take it from there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, as I feel like as I've matured a little bit, I mean, I've, I've just realized the value of like good people in your life and the value of relationships. You know, I mean, I, I'm sure I heard many years ago, you know, the kind of the cliche, you know, your, your network is your net worth, you know, that whole thing. And, um, but you know, it's really true. And I see that playing out. And I think the more I've found myself surrounding myself with good people, the more success I've found. And, uh, so, you know, plus it's just really enjoyable and really fun to be around people that are like-minded. So, you know, I think that I wanted to, to be challenged. Yeah. I've heard the saying where everyone needs a, a student, a teacher and a friend. And, you know, I have a lot of people that I feel like I'm teaching and mentoring a lot of them within, you know, my businesses and, you know, obviously have friends, you know, through our community and our, our church and just different things we're involved with. Uh, but, you know, looking for more, you know, teachers and friends that are real, really blowing and going and, and doing big things. And so I, you know, I wanted to, to, to get around a bunch of like-minded individuals, you know, heard about GoBundance, you know, from several sources, just kind of like kept coming up, you know, I'd hear it in a podcast and a book. And I'm like, what is this GoBundance thing? So I, you know, I like sitting on the couch one evening and just Google it. And, you know, I'm, I'm reading the thing and it's talking about, you know, kind of that, you know, lone wolf and just, you know, feeling like sometimes you're the only one that's just like seeing this bigger picture and seeing that there's more possible, more out there and there's stuff to, to do and to conquer. And, you know, sometimes the people you talk to are, you know, again, I've got some great friends that are, you know, employees, they work for somebody else and, you know, they just, they don't see the world the same way that I do. And uh, so, you know, that was what was really attractive about GoBundance. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I talked to you and did a little research and watched a few videos and I wasn't a hard sell. I think I like three days later, I was like, Hey man, I went on and I, I paid my money. I'd signed up, you know, I'm good to go. So yeah, that growing Columbus area chapter. So you got you got some new friends right there, which is great. Yeah. What's um, yeah, yeah. since being in? I mean, I know you're still pretty early, but like, what are a couple of takeaways or a couple of things that you've you've observed or felt or whatever? I'm just kind of curious if you don't mind sharing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've I've uh, I've not met like a lot of people in person. Um, I have really enjoyed you know listening to the podcast. I feel like I've you know learned about some people, and I've you know sent them a message or an email, and we've you know, connected and kind of shared some stories and, and stuff like that. So that's been really fun. Um, as an aside, uh, two things. First of all, um, I do expect that, that this episode is going to be more popular than the one with Brandon Turner. So we've got a okay. real challenge ahead of us here. We got to make sure we're sharing it out there. We I'm go coming for, for you, Beardy. I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> he is our number two episode ever. Number two. Okay. All there right, is somebody right. ahead of him. I won't say who, but we can make yeah. you number one. You or number all two. All right, we're gonna work on it. Yeah, yeah. And then, th then the other thing was that I, I love the uh, the one with Sean Casey too. So I'm uh, lifelong yeah. Reds fan. You know, grew up. You know, watching Sean Casey it was like a star in the '90s when I was you know real into baseball. And I actually played that episode for my son. And uh, he loved it, you know, loved hearing the stories. And I just thought there was, man, so much gold in that that episode. It was fantastic. But I told my son this morning, I said, like, hey, I'm going to be on the Tribe of Millionaires podcast and recording today. He's like, wow, the one with Sean Casey. <laughs> 
you are the the most popular person in uh, in your so cool, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm like I'm, so, uh, but uh, but yeah, you know, I've, when I've talked to people when they've been on the podcast or I've you know connected with some people on social media and you know listened to their podcasts and some stuff, and it's just no matter who I talk to, I already know before I talk to them that they're a go getter, they think big, they're working hard, they're you know driving forward, they got creative ideas, and you know. Not all of us align on values or, you know, some of those sorts of things, you know, lots of lots of people, you know, with no kids and some people with way more kids than what I have. And, you know, but it's just no matter who I talk to, I know they're going to be a, you know, a class A person. And that's just, you know, it just sets the table for a great conversation. I go in every time with anticipation, knowing that, you know, they're going to be awesome. Yeah. It's funny that, and it is, it's a, it's a community. I, I say that to a lot of guys, like, you know, it's like moving into the neighborhood and you gotta, you become part of it and it takes time. And for me, it really wasn't until toward the end of year one that I felt like, okay, I'm here. This is, I'm, I'm really like, people know who I am. I know who people are, right. It took that, that time to kind of build it. But to your point, like you mentioned, Sean Casey, I mean, I'm a big baseball geek. I've, I, you know, I don't even watch it now, but I love the history of it. I grew up near Cooperstown. I would used to, I used to go there. They have a library. It's not like books on a shelf. Like you got to put on white gloves. You write out the topics that you're interested in and they bring out like files of I, I, like the 1919 Black Sox scandal. I remember getting like original Chicago Tribune. I felt so like I can't touch these. They're so delicate. Yeah. Like, oh, that's cool, cool stuff. Right. So I love the history of baseball. So with a guy like that, like I can't before I joined GoBundance, like I, we were texting the other day, you know, he had a, a family thing going on that I knew about. And we went back and forth on text, just checking in with one another and his podcast. I don't know if you're watching the mayor's office is like yeah. ridiculous. Okay. So him just yeah. bantering with other guys, uh, like, you know, Ken Griffey or whomever about baseball, but it is cool. It is neat to see all of that. So anyway, I'm sorry. I had a, I had a ju- jump in on, on him because he was probably other than this one, he was probably my favorite episode that I've recorded. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, other than this one, that goes without saying, but yeah, yeah no, he's, he's, he's a great guy. And I, I really, really enjoyed that one. Yeah. So yeah, but yeah, yeah anybody the- listening, you didn't, if you haven't heard Sean Casey, if you like baseball at all, I mean, just the way he tells the stories, I mean, like a couple of those stories he told, like, you know, I, I was just like, man, I felt like I was there, you know, he's, <laughs> it was seat, awesome. right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in that yeah. final at bat. In the World yeah, Series. Yeah. But what's so cool about that is, and what I loved about him, not that this is like a Sean Casey episode, I'll have to send this to him afterward, <laughs> but um, is he he related it to to things that are peak performance related, right? Like habits and and like he goes back to his breath work in that last at bat and clearing yes. this the sound of the crowd and going back to these fundamentals where he lines up the bat. I mean, just so cool to hear how he literally went just back to the repetitions he put into a 20 year career or whatever, the basics, right. In order to, in order, it's, yeah. it applies in business. It applies in personal development. It applies everywhere. So yeah, Sean Casey getting some pub today. His ears are ringing right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. All right. All right. Any, anything else I'm curious from the, from the COVID era through now, is there any other key learnings that you had before we jump over to the one sheet and talk about that? Any other key learnings or things that you did differently, whatever it might be, family, business, relationships, post COVID, what you learned from COVID? Yeah, there's, you know, I, it, COVID's like been one of those things. And we're like, literally, when we were recording this, like literally two years ago and the day was when, you know, Ooh. everything shut down. Yes, I mean, it's it's you know, St. Patty's Day right now, as we're yeah. going, you're right. It was right now, two years ago. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I've been like, you know, my wife and I have been reminiscing kind of all the, all the feels because, I mean, we literally just opened all these businesses. We're mid-construction on three other projects downtown. 
I mean, it was a really, really scary time to be, you know, shut down. And then our landscaping business, we were not essential. Then we were essential. Then we were, you know, and it was like right in the spring and things are going crazy. And then we, you know, people were scared, weren't coming to work. And it was just, you know, really, really scary time. So it's like one of those times where I, I never would wish for it again, ever. But what I've learned and who I've become through this process, I believe, is just, you know, unlike anything else that's, you know, just, just changed me, you know, I mean, and it has everybody, I mean, it's changed everybody to some degree. And, you know, something that's really interesting that I've been talking about with some other people, and I'd be interested in your thoughts too, Jamie, just that I've kind of called this, like, I kind of come up with all kinds of different names for it. This is the one I'm working right now, but kind of the, the great hardening off period for kids. And I borrow that term from landscaping. So hardening off is when like, when, when a plant is in the nursery, they're watering it like twice a day and it's like in a shade house and it's like very soft, you know, it's very weak uh, because it's just kind of being spoon fed. It's like a baby plant. And if you put it out in a, in a landscape bed, you know, and it it's hot and it doesn't get as much water, it's just going to wither and die. And mm. if you put it out and you water and you still kind of baby it, it still will like wilt and look like it's almost dead. And then all of a sudden it'll get like firm again and grow and it has to harden off. And so I saw that like in my kids through COVID with our family. I mean, it was really, really hard. Like I remember one night, my daughter, they like, it was like last year. So they'd like went back to school and they've been, you know, remote, then they've been hybrid, then they're remote, and then they're hybrid again. And she was crying at bedtime because she wasn't in the same like hybrid class as all her friends. And, uh, you know, she was in second grade and that was like really hard. And, you know, my son, you know, they struggle with different things and, you know, they weren't able to play sports and, you know, couldn't watch major league baseball in 2020. And, you know, just all these things where it's like, um, we, they had to learn resilience and flexibility and I think just I'm interested to see in 10, 20, 30 years, like how that shapes the generation, you know, how they've become resilient. And like instead of like everything being handed to them and everything being microwavable or, or tweetable or, you know, you know, right at your fingertips, we had to wait. We had to be patient. We had to you know, get, you know, not get things we wanted. We weren't able to go wherever we wanted. We couldn't eat whatever we wanted. And it was just really a time where I think that we've just kind of relearned some of those qualities that are really, really important. And so I'm, I'm, I hated it for my kids, but I'm also like kind of excited to say, you know, I think that my kids are, they're hardened up a little bit. They're hardened off here, you know, from this experience. You know, it's, that's a, that's an interesting, interesting way of putting it. Cause I, I, and I'll relate it because I think there's some synergy in where my mind goes with, with this. And I didn't really ever think of it as like COVID created it, but maybe it is the best thing. Here, my, my general thought more broadly, more macro, it, it's the, it, it goes to the saying of, um, uh, what is it like? Strong men create weak men, weak men create crises, right? And crises create strong men. Does that make sense? Strong men create weak men, weak men create yeah, crisis, yeah. a crisis, and the crisis creates strong men. Women, men, whatever. I mean, just it's the same. So I think that we, and you know, when I say we, uh, I don't know, 25 to 45 are in the weak men era. 
right? I think strong men, if you will, come from our parents, you know, the Vietnam, post-Vietnam era through the 70s and the hardship there or whatever. And all of yeah. that created the need to create comfort in, in us. My dad's, my dad, my dad grew up tough. I mean, he had a, a tough upbringing, he, not a lot of stability in his home. And all he wanted for his kids was to give us to spoil. We were spoiled kids. I mean, I, I, I just say it, right? right? And so, you know, we, we become those weak folks who are entitled who who feel as though, like you said, it needs to happen now. And then we you, you couple on that, the the internet era and all of that, you know, the microwave and internet era, right? So I, yeah. to, to your point, I, I've said this. I think our kids are the ones that need to be the next strong generation. Like, I think we're in the crisis time now. A yeah. lot of polarization politically, people feeling as though they should get versus do get, you know, socialized mindsets, are permeating our society, especially in a, in a democratized country like this, where right. they, you know, for some reason, look past what's happened in a Venezuela or other nations like that. So, yeah, I, I <laughs> it's a really interesting way of putting it. I hope so. I hope that yeah. COVID has hardened our kids because I do think that they are going to have it. I think they're going to have to deal with the collapse of the dollar. I don't think we are. I think they're going to have to deal with uh, a lot of fallout from printing all this money and all that we're going through right now. I really don't think that is an hour problem. I mean, it, you know, we we'll have to deal with it. But I think it, the reckoning comes in the next generation. So I don't know if that makes sense, but that's what I yeah. think is is likely to happen. So if COVID was Mother Nature's way of saying we know it's coming, let's let's you know build some build some you know rigidity in these kids today. I hope you're right. Does that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that you know, and then like as parents, I mean, it's our job to help them process it in that way. You know, I mean, because I think just as easily we could create a victim mentality in our kids, you know, to say like, Oh, sorry, honey, you know, like, it's just, just you know, just the way it is, you know, yeah. uh, they, you know, so I, we, we don't want to do that for sure. No. I mean, we're trying to process this. Yeah. Life, life isn't fair. Life is hard, you know, yeah. and, and <laughs> you do have to be flexible and you do have to figure it out sometimes. And, you know, I, I hate to be the one to tell you this, but you know, it's, it's a lesson you got to learn now. And it's easier to learn now than, you know, when you're old and, you know, setting your ways. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. No, I know. Right. They're so pliable and amiable, their brains. So <laughs> interesting, not, interesting discussion. Not. We'll see what people think. You can drop comments on this video and or yeah. uh, uh, a review in the, in the podcast to get uh, your thoughts out there. So, well, let's dive into some one sheet questions. We'll kind of bullet through them real quick here, but let's start with horizontal income as far as the first pillar. So, Right now, what do you consider to be your yearly horizontal income and how many lines do you credit that as? And I know you're kind of maybe ballparking this, but just give me a sense of it. Yeah, yeah, working on that a little bit, but, um, you know, it's uh, so much of what I what I get as horizontal income is going back into these projects, you know, because again, I'm not like just taking this and living on off of it. Fortunately, I have, you know, kind of my main business that pays my bills and then we you know, pull some money off of that to do further investing. And then everything that comes in goes back in uh, to, to, you know, these projects. So, um, you know, I would say about 400,000 uh, is horizontal income. That's uh, a few different lines. I mean, pretty much all around real estate. I do have kind of some passive, passive things I'm doing. I still have, you know, our core of, um, you know, single family and small multifamily stuff. And then all of our commercial and mixed use uh, that, that we've done. So, I mean, we bought about $4 million worth of real estate last year, uh, you know, pretty much, you know, all downtown. And I mean, this is all in COVID and stuff. And I mean, we did, 
a couple million dollars worth of renovations during COVID. I mean, you know, we've just, it's interesting, right? I mean, kind of, I know we're kind of moving past the COVID conversation, but it permeates so much of what we're, what we're doing. And the way that we lived through COVID, I think is a lot how we process COVID, you know, I mean, our lives never stopped. In fact, you know, for the first few months, I mean, we were, I'd never worked so much in my life. I mean, I was working seven days a week, you know, with all the different regulations that were coming down to all these different businesses, different for office, for field work, for entertainment venues, for restaurants, for hair salons, you know, I mean, I own all the across different industries. Um, And then, you know, we just kind of like kept going, you know, because we figured it was all going to come back at some point. And, you know, I think it created some opportunities for us and it made some other situations a lot harder, but, but yeah. So as far as horizontal income goes, that's, you know, that's kind of the, the main drivers there. I'm All curious, real estate. That first building built in the 1830s, you paid 20,000, but 75,000. And do you know what the value is today on that? Um, yeah, we, we had it appraised cause we did a, like a cash out refinance of it. And, um, you know, I think it was mid, mid one hundreds, maybe, um, okay. now I can't remember exactly. They start, they start to run together a little bit, but, uh, no, but as you know, a, as a, pers- as a percentage of the, yeah, as a percentage of the value, you're talking a 50% bump in value over above and beyond what you paid for it and, and put into it. So that's, that's significant. Yeah. significant. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so 400,000, what percentage do you consider yourself then at that point? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so it could, like you said, you invest a lot back in when you, when COVID first hit, did you stop investing? Like, did you say, okay, let me turn all that horizontal income into, you know, income for my family? Or did you kind of keep the same? the same thing going. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've, I've always been like fairly, you know, we're, we live a modest lifestyle, you know, for the income that we've had for a number of years. And I mean, I think that's, what's created a lot of the opportunities that we have. Um, you know, we've been really, you know, we we're relatively debt averse, you know, kind of as, you know, in our early married years and some of that. So we were able to, you know, save and, you know, kind of snowballed uh, real estate investments you know, we had some equity to pull out when we needed to and, and things like that. So, um, so yeah, I, I forget where I was going with that. Exactly, yeah, no, no. So yeah, back then, we were, so you were yeah, able to cover, you were able to cover your in. life. Yeah. You were able to cover your life through COVID with horizontal income, it sounds like. So that would make you at least for that time, a hundred percent. If you needed to, you could turn that on. Yeah. 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 I guess. Right. We'll go with it. Yeah, we'll go with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go over to age-defying health. How about weight and body fat percentage right now? Yeah, so um, I've been, uh, I've actually, uh, I think I lost 10 pounds since I uh, joined GoBundance <laughs> and not necessarily any direct accountability, but I think that I just knew that that was going to be like a, you know, a focus. And so, and then I started doing like weekly weight measurements to plug into my, uh, my one sheet and it, you know, I don't even share it with anybody. It's just kind of a self accountability, but isn't interesting. You know, the old saying, like, you know, what gets measured gets improved. And so I've just, you know, made improvements there. So I got about like 16% body fat and, uh, you know, one, 188. I just weighed myself this morning. So there you go. What's the diet and exercise routine for you at this point, then what are you doing in those regards? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, try to eat, uh, you know, pretty, pretty healthy. Um, I'm a, I'm a big, like miracle morning practitioner and, uh, you know, Hal Elrod, or, you know, uh, go bro. He was one of them. The, another one that mentioned, you know, in a podcast or something about go abundance. And that was another, like, what is this whole abundance thing? But, um, 
but yeah, so I, uh, I run, I run basically seven days a week, um, in, in the mornings as part of my, in my miracle morning routine. And, uh, that started like really heavily at the beginning of COVID. It was kind of like my coping mechanism. I, and, you know, I kind of like been running for a few years, you know, three, four days a week, but you know, when COVID started and I was working seven days a week and it was just like crazy, that was like my time, you know, I'd listen to something positive and, and run and man, it just, you know, it's changed my life, you know, really, I think that just that, that time to process. And, you know, I had some of my best ideas when I was on the treadmill uh, in the basement, you know, about how I was going to overcome some issue that we were dealing with or, or whatever. Amazing how that happens, right? Yeah. hundred percent. It is. Family, it is. you mentioned you're married. I'm going to get what are you, about 17 years married at this point. Does that sound right? Yeah. Yeah, that is right. Okay. Is and right. What, yeah. what about kids? Two kids, boy and a girl, 11 and nine. Emerson wow. and Olivia. So yeah. Yeah. Third and fifth grade. Very cool. Have you seen the, like you mentioned the hardening, is there like a specific example that you could see with your kids where they showed that grit, if you will, as a result of COVID? Man, it's just interesting. Just the way that they, I just feel like they've really matured, you know, like through this time and they've just, again, like setbacks and things that, you know, would normally, you know, I feel like for kids their age, like really, you know, kind of like cause them to stalk and, you know, be sad and stuff. They've just really kind of, I feel like developed this resiliency that they're just, you know, better at, at taking stuff in stride. And also I think, you know, we've spent a lot more time together the last two years. I mean, um, that, uh, you know, now as my wife, sometimes that's a, you know, it's a, a little much. She was the one that did all the, uh, the, the school from home stuff. And I know, you know, there's a lot of people that do homeschooling as well. Do you, you guys do, kind of non-traditional school or we do acting yeah acting academy acting, which, yeah you know, there's like half yeah. a dozen gobros i don't act in academies but yeah i could not nor could my wife i don't think be homeschoolers like we don't have the patience <laughs> for it so acting is like the best thing we could have found because it gets yeah, right. us away from the traditional kind of a homeschooling environment and you know all of the like you talked about the skills of you know conflict resolution and all of that stuff yes. so yeah. yeah 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 but you know we, we spent a lot more time and they work in our businesses. I mean, they, they, That's they, cool. they work, you know, we have a thing, you know, if we're working, they're working, we do a lot of events through our event venue as kind of a way of building community and momentum in the downtown. And, you know, they'll work in our ice cream shop and sweep floors and move tables and take out trash. And, you know, I mean, um, I think that that builds a lot of those skills as well. So, you know, something Very we cool. believe is, is super important for our family. Very cool. How about contribution? What are you doing in that regard? Is it a financial thing? Is it a, a, a time thing? Or do you have a specific focus with around, around contribution? What do you do there? Yeah. So, um, you know, we're, uh, we're involved in our church. Uh, we get through that, uh, you know, both time and money. Uh, uh, we've done quite a bit with like uh, clean water projects the last few years. Uh, we, we saw the impact that that had in uh, some developing countries. And uh, we, we were a part of a, uh, event called the global 6k for water uh some people might uh might have heard that, that the average person in developing country uh work walks every day six kilometers uh to go get water and it's usually not even clean water it's just the closest water that they have and so it was a an event where you walk or run six kilometers a 6k uh, and then it was a, a way to to raise money for clean water projects so we we uh, headed that up in our community for a few years and really you know saw a lot of awareness around that and and again it's good teaching experience for our kids and uh kind of a fun 
fun event to be able to do. So, yeah, those are some things that are, you know, near and dear to our hearts. That'll prompt gratitude, right? That's what COVID yeah. has done, I think, too. But I mean, when you see, when I didn't know that 6K, six kilometers every day just to get some water. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it is. Um, how about on the accountability side? Have you, are you in a GoPod? Do you meet often? What, what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. So about, uh, I don't know, six or six weeks into a GoPod. So, um, you know, we are a very uh, kind of diverse group kind of from all over the U.S. So we were we were meeting weekly. We've just kind of modified that cadence a little bit. Now we're kind of doing a little more or a little less frequently, but like, like we're doing breakout uh, calls with, you know, one on one with uh, our GoBros in the, in the pod. So uh, it's been really really interesting. I think that it's, it's helped, uh, accountability. I've already seen a couple of the guys like making like significant jumps on, um, stuff that they're doing in their lives, you know, changing workplaces or starting investing. And so it, it's, it's great to kind of see, you know, go abundance as a whole and some of the things that different guys are doing, but when you're kind of like doing, doing life together, with just a you know a handful of guys and you really are seeing what they're doing and you're kind of walking along with them uh it's it's very gratifying it, it's it's i've really enjoyed it so far yeah yeah my pod is every other week we've always been that way and uh it works it works for us just with our schedules and everything it really works out well um what about trips you have any uh adventures coming up anything that you're planning to do whether it's an abundance trip or, or your own family type of trip anything like that yeah. Yeah. So I am planning on going to Miami. So looking forward, nice. that would be my first in-person, you know, big abundance event. So really excited about that. But yeah, one of our family goals uh, was to travel eight weeks this year. Uh, so that's, you know, nearly double what we did last year. And so, um, you know, some of that is like, you know, what I know you did, you know, kind of like just going and working from somewhere else, you know, so next week, spring break, we're going down to Florida and going to do it, you know, it's going to be kind of like a little bit of work, a little bit of play. Then we're also um, meeting with a landscaper, you know, business owner, buddy of mine down there. And then we're making a couple of stops places where it's also become our hobby to like study other like communities and like uh, downtown and small town developers. So I'm making some visits like on our way to and fro, we're stopping in Nashville and doing a little bit there. So we just love to travel. And then our big trip this year, we're going three weeks uh, kind of all around the U.S. Out west, we're gonna do a helicopter ride over the Grand Canyon. We're gonna go to a bunch of national parks in Utah. We've done quite a few national parks, and then one of the things that we're doing is kind of fun and unique is that uh, we have a goal to go to every Major League Baseball stadium, all 30, by the time my son turns 18. So we started when he was eight, gave us 10 years. We lost one year in 2020s. There's no baseball uh, or no fans. But uh, so on our trip out west, we're doing uh, Denver and uh, uh, Kansas City and Arizona. And so we're, we're hitting those on our on our loop out there. We've done, I think, 11 stadiums so far. So we're like a little ahead of schedule, but that's a, it's a great way to see the United States. And uh, again, we're a baseball family. So we've really enjoyed doing that as well. So that's kind of one of our you know, bucket list family items and we're we're hitting a few of those and hitting some national parks and so that's going to be a big trip for us that's cool man the sean casey thing is all coming into focus for me now how big a baseball yeah. is. Uh, i have shea hillenbrand i don't know if you remember him but i have shea hillenbrand coming out soon too I, unless it's oh, okay I it did yet but another i mean he's like this guy is like fired 
up. Like, I mean, Sean, Sh- Sh- Sean uh, Casey, a story. Shay Hillebrand is like, he, he actually calls himself the white Eric Thomas, like the white ET. Like that's what he said. He's been called. Cause he's just like, all okay. he's all go, 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 go. He's just an amazing dude. Amazing story too. I had no idea the depths he went through in his career. Yeah. Two time yeah, all-star, no, but completely misaligned, I guess, with being a, a ball player back then. So, yeah. Wow. Fascinating. Um, and I like the baseball uh, goal. I did a nine stadium tour when I was like 22. So we're, we're working on working on, uh, yeah. unofficially getting to all of them. So, all right, let's yeah. end this with a question from the GoBundance card game. And the question is what mentor did you most recently seek out and what did you learn? Mm. Yeah. Okay. Put me on the spot here. So, um, <laughs> you know, I've, I've been one. Well, okay. I have, uh, as I said, so one of our stops that we're um, making uh, on our next trip when we go on spring break here next week is uh, we're going by way of uh, Opelika, Alabama, where there's a guy named John Marsh, a fantastic guy, and he has done uh, what we're doing, and he's like 20 years ahead, though. I think he's been doing for 25 years, and I think between homes and downtown buildings, they've done like 270, you know, places in their community that they've, you know, rehabilitated, given new life. And I've really been following him lately. I kind of met him through a friend of a friend of a friend. And, uh, you know, interesting how those dots connect sometimes, all starting with relationships, though, right? And just like we talked about at the top of the podcast here. Yeah. Uh, But uh, yeah, I mean, I sought out, you know, kind of getting in front of him and actually having a call with him and then going to going to visit him and, you know, learning, you know, I mean, anything that, you know, that you want to do these days, there's somebody that's done it that you can learn from, you know, they've got podcasts, you can read their books or, you know, uh, some of them, you know, meet in person, but man, there's, there's mentors out there everywhere. And, you know, so much of what I do is typically through, you know, reading books and listening to uh, podcasts and some of that, but, uh, but he's the one that I, I would say most recently that I kind of sought out, you know, specifically as a mentor and, you know, really looking forward to that. That's cool. I mean, I, you know, there's a superhero nature to what you're doing. There really is. Cause there's some amazing, uh, cities, towns that have had this historic, beautiful, like you can see it that you can almost picture back in the, whatever it is, 50s, 60s, 70s, this, this thriving, booming central place where people went, uh, to, to do everything. And then, you know, as as manufacturing declined, as big box stores came into towns, you know, these downtowns sort of got gutted and, and pulled away from, yeah. but they're still beautiful. Like I, I'm, I, when we moved to Michigan, that was one of the things we were looking for is like this sort of idyllic downtown and we found it, but there's so many towns that aren't that way here, right? That you go to their downtown, yeah. it's like, Ey. so it's, there's a, it's cool to know that there's a niche or niche, or whatever, of people like you in other parts of the country that you can kind of, you know, get together and revitalize these areas because it is, it is, uh, it is neat to see. You're making me think about a town I used to live in where it's like that would have been cool because I had this like warm feeling for that town, and it was always sad yeah. to me that the downtown just wasn't. So, but somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do yeah. it at some point. And you're doing it. Yeah. So, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. What's um? What's the best way for people to learn more about you, about your businesses, your follow you, social media, whatever you want to leave people with? Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm uh, I'm working on some of that. We're we're revamping some websites and kind of trying to get a little bit of a structure where everything's kind of under one umbrella and there's links to everything. But yeah, you know, they can reach out to me on social media. I'm fairly uh, fairly active on you know Facebook, Instagram, uh, somewhat LinkedIn, uh, Luke Henry, uh, Luke Henry twelve on. Uh, Instagram, uh, can 
see a little bit of our stuff at uh, MainStreetReimagined.com is uh, is our one uh, project, Main Street Reimagined, uh, where we where we originally started the Brickyard on Main in Marion, Ohio, is our uh, wedding event venue. If you want to kind of check that out and take a peek, got some pictures there of uh, of that. And um, so, yeah, yeah, I look forward to uh, you know, please do reach out. You know, if any anything in my story uh, resonates or you want to you know share some share some more stories, whether it's uh, you know across any of these things, I you know, kind of have uh, a uh, very um, wide breadth of uh, different experiences that I've uh, come into. So I, I love talking to all kinds of people. Ice cream to grass to real estate to you name it, right? You got <laughs> weddings. Exactly. You've got it all. Yeah. You've got it all. Done a little I'll bit see, of everything. That's right. I'll see you in Miami. I really appreciate the time today. And yeah, we'll get this up. We'll pump this up. Number one, number two, top episode. Right. The heck with that bearded dude. And the number oh, one guy. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's all goatees from here. No beards. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Look, man, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Jamie. Appreciate it, man. Well, that's it for this episode, but be sure you subscribe for future episodes. Give us a rating and review as well. It just helps us grow the podcast, grow the reach, and give as much value as we can to you on a week-to-week basis. Be sure to go over and check out GoBundance.com while you're at it. Check out Emerge if you're a future millionaire, our elite division if you're in that one to $5 million range, or our champion division at $5 million plus. Or on the women's side, GoBundance Women is available for all of you to join an amazing group of millionaire entrepreneurial women. And if you haven't already, jump on tribeofmillionaires.com and order the book that is the namesake of this podcast. And you'll learn all about what this whole GoBundance thing is, what masterminds are about, and the power of community, accountability, connection, and all of that as you pursue your goals. Thanks for listening again. We'll talk to you soon. 